dog has had his morning constitutional, so we're good. As have you. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 468 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Mr. Fosma Mood and Seth Miller. How you guys doing? Good day, sir. Good day. Is that, is that like the uh, Willy Wonka good day you're going to throw out? Or is it... <laughs> I said good day. <laughs> no points for you. Um, yes. So, big news. Big news. Huge. Max 9 is back in service. Maybe-ish. For kind of. <laughs> Very much in service. Um, United, I think, we're recording this on Sunday morning. United expects to have 49 of its 79 planes flying today. Okay. Her reports. So that's pretty impressive. I think Copa, if not fully back, is darn close. Air Mexico's back. Uh, has a bunch of its back already. Alaska Airlines has some of its back. United is still ferrying planes around the network. That's super interesting to see. I think I found one last night. Like They did a Phoenix-Denver-Albuquerque ferry mm-hmm. because the... They have the plane was in Phoenix. They had to get it into Denver, and then I'm assuming and put put the real crew on because they canceled the Denver Albuquerque flight hmm. like five days ago. But still had to get the plane into position to be able to run the Albuquerque flight in the morning. And so I assume the plane and or crew normally does that trip with the overnight, and they just you know made it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a we had a friend point out that Orlando Newark was on a Max Nine last night and turned around. That was a ferry flight. It was, yeah. So there was no there was no passengers, but it turned around and went back to Orlando. Yeah. But we don't know anything else. No. Um, you know, it, it's going to take a week or so, I think, you know, maybe later this week, or by the time this episode airs for, you know, our subscribers, it should be pretty stable. Yeah. They should be mostly back to normal. You know, challenge of canceling a bunch of flights when you don't know what's going on is at some point you got to put everything back into position and get it all moving again. And that's about as hard as canceling it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- you think about, like, the Orlando flight, you, you don't have a base in Orlando, right? So they have a maintenance base. Oh, they do. Yeah, but what about I, a crew base? I think they have a crew base there too. Oh, okay. Well, then that makes it easier. I was going to say if if the plane was somewhere that it didn't have a crew base, and you got to get a yeah. crew there. Yeah, no, I think it's a seven thirty seven base because it goes back to the old codes. Oh, gotcha. Okay, they did maintenance. They did, but they did a bunch of maintenance in Tampa. They were ferrying planes in and out of Tampa for doing the inspections too. Um, oh, gotcha. Yeah, but it, it, that's it. There's a lot of moving parts of planes to get to places. I think right, right. Alaska was ferrying them out to Oklahoma City, which where they do a lot of their maintenance work, yeah. um, and then put them back into service. And I think it's just a uh, where they've got bodies. Part of me thinks like if you just needed it for a short period of time, wouldn't it have been easier to like fly the team and some mm-hmm. of the rules to where all the planes are? Right. If you had like eight planes on the ground in Seattle and needed an extra set of teams to go through them all, it seems like it'd be more efficient to move those people to Seattle than move the planes to Oklahoma. But um, for a one-off kind of thing, but I mean, you, way, you, you you are an airline, you you have planes, right? <laughs> right. I mean, but you need space and you need the right things to do a to do the work. I get it, but it was a little funny to me. But um, you know, I think the interesting part more than just that the planes are back in service is. Some of the conditions the FAA put on the return to service mm-hmm. go well beyond inspect these planes and make sure the bolts are all where they belong. Oh, like what? Uh, Boeing is not allowed to increase its production rate. That's interesting. I mean, is that, you think, to ensure quality? Yeah, basically the FAA has said, until we are confident that you guys can build these things consistently, and I'll say perfectly in air quotes there, but like close enough to perfect that like, large chunks of them don't randomly fall off from time to time. 
uh, we don't want you increasing production rate because increased production rate, you know, is mm-hmm. more complicated, more potential for things to go wrong again. And so I'm trying to like, of course, the FAA can enforce that because the FAA has to certify each aircraft as ready to go or allow Boeing to do it. But either way, like there is an approval process there. And if even if Boeing built them faster, the FAA would just say, nope, these six aren't ready to go. Mm. And like they wouldn't go anywhere. Um, it is super interesting to me, though, that they're literally limiting production rates at this point in an effort to try to make Boeing get the quality part sorted. And yeah, the uh, impact, the trickle down of that it goes, you know, in a lot of different directions. One of them is various suppliers who have been told they need to, you know, be, Boeing doesn't just randomly one day say, hey, produce six more planes a month. Mm-hmm. worth of widgets or exit signs or overhead bins or panels or whatever uh, that stuff all goes takes a long time to ramp up so that the, everybody's you know just in time inventory sort of remains just in time and Boeing hasn't told them to slow down yet so mm-hmm. it might be accumulating a bunch of inventory somewhere or something else but like also all of those builds are allocated to future deliveries in theory and Boeing had a plan it was, had been slipping I had a plan to be a like monthly rate somewhere that fifties by the end of next year. Mm-hmm. And they're only about 42 now. And like extra hundred planes a year kind of makes a big difference yeah. where, you know, a earnings in general and like how much money does Boeing have cash flow and B a bunch of airlines were expecting that those planes were going to show up. Yeah. But I mean, I think I don't, I'm, I'm less concerned about the airlines. Like they seem like they're willing to make the right decision to make a plane safe. Right. Sure. I mean, none of them are going to be like, no, we want the planes broken or otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- they can't be happy about it. Well, no. Generous. I mean, every now and then these things happen. The airlines are like, oh, phew, we actually, turns out when we ordered these eight years ago, we had no idea what was going to happen. And maybe we could use a little bit of a break. Yeah, yeah. Um, that certainly happened with the max grounding that happened to overlap with COVID and airlines were able to cancel contracts. We're like, ah, that worked out for us. <laughs> yeah, it goes back to deposits. Thanks. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, before we move on, Airbus isn't without its own issues right now either, right? Correct. Uh, they had a they had an engine issue, which is Pratt, it's Pratt and Whitney, right? Those are the ones that are having problems. Yeah, probably. So uh, I think I mean I've kind of joked that maybe Airbus is the way to go, but that's not necessarily the case either right now for <laughs> airlines. It's not it's not called an A three twenty Max, so it's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just I mean it's. Foz pointed out, like, we're kind of pushing the limits of physics. We brought it up on other, he's brought it up on other episodes too, right? Foz, like, there's, the technology has leaped ahead and we're, yeah, we're maybe I mean, catching up. You know, there's two sides of that, right? We, we are definitely pushing physics in some regards at the same token. You think back to, like, the Concorde developed in the 60s, right? And what it could do versus what any of the planes today do. Yeah. yeah. It, there's, it did what it did in a very different manner. Though. I think the technology that you're describing and those leaps mostly is around engines, and larger bypass engines, uh, more not delicate, but like the metals involved are more and more like super high strength, but also super light and trying to and able to withstand the crazy temperatures and all those things. And so finding the right alloys and mixes and a lot of the engine issues that Pratt's having to pull its uh, aircraft back for right now for extra inspections and whatnot is related to like the powdered metal. Not being, you know, not being actually having the wear patterns that they thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, there's a there's a lot going on there. Um, 
And yes, eventually physics catches up. But I mean, it should all work. I think the, the real question becomes like, are they unsafe or are they just not going to last as long as they thought they would? And so the value proposition is lower. And I think it's probably more of the latter. But yeah. Well, and I think, I think too, airlines have to look at, okay, we're making this investment. And if it isn't going to last as long, like you said, the value proposition, but also from a um, sustainability and operational standpoint, like if I have to pull this for, you know, sea check sooner or an engine repair sooner, I, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make sense. I'd rather just go back to, you know, a regular CO because I, I know those engines last for this. We've, we've got the data. Like we know how long they last. Um, so it's a bit of unknown, you know? Well, unless, you know, the engine manufacturers have subscribed to consumers and like everybody else and hoping the airlines buy more extra engines. <laughs> what do you need? Uh, another, another engine. <laughs> buy five. We'll throw two in for free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back to the Max. Max 8 had a delivery to China. That's a first. In a while. Yeah. Yeah. First in a really long while. Um, the China Southern, I believe, uh, plane finally got delivered uh, over the weekend. It made it, you know, I think it would be a Honolulu and somewhere else. Uh, got there on, probably Guam, mm-hmm. got there on Saturday morning <laughs> last weekend. So, so are, you know, are you expecting then deliveries to resume in full to, to China? Is that kind of the, the message we're getting? Um, I think so. It's hard to right, tell. This comes like also against the backdrop of the Max 9 stuff of, you know, they convened a special meeting to decide if they wanted to let those planes in the country. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. super interesting. But I, I do think this is certainly a step towards normalization and resumption of real deliveries uh, happening on the regular, which should be good news for Boeing. Um, really, the question becomes at this point is what the fleet plans for the different airlines are and how much they expect to use them. And yeah, yeah. Um, right. We've, we've going to talk a little bit in the bonus topics about both United and Southwest and how they're talking about their fleet plans going forward. Um, they both, both those companies had earnings calls last week and neither is happy with Boeing to say the yes. least. Yeah. That's in this, that's in the bonus topic for the Patreon subscribers. So yeah. Um, uh, real quick, just a generalization about China. Have you guys noticed that fares to China and out of China are like nosedive? Like it's kind of weird. I have not because I have no interest in going there and haven't looked, but yeah, I just was, I was looking cause I thought, you know, we've talked about on the show, like how the airlines want back in, you know, all the majors, the Chinese carriers want back in the United States, but it doesn't seem like maybe the fares are matching that demand or need. I don't know. It's strange. So maybe something you can look at Seth at some point. Yeah. Some free time. But anyway, Ryanair, they're buying some homes near Dublin. This one was funny to me. They bought, there's a new development going in not far from the airport, like one bus stop away mm-hmm. of 28 homes or something like that. And Ryanair bought 25 of them. Crew, crew base? Literal yeah. crew base? Literal. They plan to rent them out to first-year employees. Wow. Um, are they going to make it like... Are they going like, to they, they be like slumlords, though? Or is it going to be like, this is your house? Or is it going to be like, oh, there's 12 of you in here or something? <laughs> Norm? Uh, crash pads? <laughs> I, yeah, uh, the, the article did not include that level of detail. One would like to believe that it's like home rentals, but uh, yeah. But it's Ryanair at the same time. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also not clear which which type of crew it's going to be for. And it's like a one-year rental to get things moving. Also, like 25 is great, but you look at the size of their staff, like drop in the bucket. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. If it is like, hey, we're trying to help you have an affordable place to live while you're you know getting settled into this new job that's awesome well we're not actually paying you very much money exactly like i mean it's it's a benefit it's a perk but it's um 
if not, if it is like a, you know, crash pad, I, I'm less of yeah. a fan. But anyway, it was that faux pas to call it like, you know, Slumlords? I feel like, I feel like it's probably, but you know, okay. on anyway. brand for the show. Yeah. Um, Delta and Aeromexico having some issues at, uh, you know, Mexico, Mexico City. So this one, there was a couple pieces of news that slipped out uh, late on Friday night of last week. And this is one of the, the three. Um, and the one I think is the most interesting. And so Delta and Air Mexico have what they call a joint cooperation agreement. It's not a joint venture, but for all intents and purposes, it looks and quacks like one um, for their transborder operations between the U.S. and Mexico. Okay. Uh, it is predicated on, and you guys may recall, like seven or so years ago now when they were trying to get it off the ground. Uh, maybe even longer than that, uh, that it was pending and it was pending and it was pending on open skies existing between the U.S. and Mexico. And that's a pretty standard thing. Anytime there's a sort of joint venture or antitrust immunity on airlines, the DOT requires open skies. And that's part of you know, basically protecting consumers. It's pretending that there's going to be fair and easy competition and f- very few limits on competitors trying to make those markets work. Hmm. Um cool fine no worries that finally gets established uh as part of the approving it initially delta and air mexico are asked to divest slots at both jfk and mexico city um and they do other airlines pick them up JetBlue operated some of them for a while in mexico city and it was a terrible they were terribly timed and they could never make it work and then cutting them a couple years ago um like even before COVID or in the throes thereof right all those things coming together um but it was a five-year joint venture approval. Um, it had to go up for approval. They applied for or for renewal. Excuse me. They applied for the renewal, and the DOT was like, "Yeah, we're still trying to figure this one out. We'll let you keep doing it while we evaluate whether you're in compliance or not." Mm-hmm. And during that time, uh, Amlo got elected as president of Mexico. He has some very significant thoughts on what aviation policy should be. None of them which aligned with anything good for the Mexico City airport or local airlines or U.S. airlines operating in the country, right? He wants to open up that secondary airport outside the Air Force base. He's launched his own airline run by the Air Force. A lot of weird shit. And so the DOT, at the uh, pressure of various U.S. airlines, has been trying to get Mexico to make Mexico City Airport back to at least its normal prior level of very crowded and not enough capacity and slot restricted, but in the way we all knew. Mm-hmm. rather than this new version of terribly slot restricted and basically this guy the mexican government said no hmm. and the dot now is saying okay well you know we no longer have open skies with you that you're not honoring the terms of the treaty therefore the joint cooperation agreement with delta cannot be approved huh. and so the joint venture joint cooperation agreement has until pending some change by mexican policy has until the end of this summer IATA season uh, to unravel. And this is a tentative decision, right? It can be appealed. It's they withdrew the application. So it's not like a hard and fast ruling and everything is done. But unless something changes with access at Mexico City International Airport, it's basically a done deal. <laughs> and I just, the idea of like in October, Delta announced like eight or nine new routes, I think, right? Like all these <laughs> things, they were trying to build up the value of this. Uh, joint venture and how it's all going to work together and now you get back and they're like yeah sorry you got to unravel it all you can still co-chair but no antitrust immunity no joint scheduling no joint fair setting um good luck 
I'm sure they're still going to joint fair set though, right? Like, how do you police yep. that? Yeah, well, it's against the law. So if you do it, someone goes to jail. But I mean, like, not that we actually enforce laws these days, but whatever. You can't. You can sell each other's tickets, but you can't coordinate fares. Oh, yeah. like so you couldn't say this. This in your fare rules, you can't say this is. You could ticket this on Aeromexico or. No, 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 it's more that today they are allowed to have their commercial teams talk to each other and be like, "Hey, so what should we charge between Atlanta or for gotcha. Cancun? What should that yeah. fare be?" And then they can both sell the same thing. That they they won't be allowed to set the prices. They can sort of agree on a. We will set prices, and you can, and we'll even sell to you at you know ninety percent of cost or whatever for interline agreements and things like that. But they don't get the, they can't say, hey, we want to only have five hundred seats a week in this market between mm-hmm. the two of us and all those things. Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but the the fact that like you know, and obviously this still affects the uh, Allegiant Viva Airbus application, which is also currently suspended. Hmm. Um, that I. I'd actually be a little surprised if those airlines were like, yeah, we actually don't care about Mexico city. Can we have the rest of it, please? <laughs> right. Cause they don't, they don't, they want all the small markets and they want yeah. the beach markets, but unfortunately it doesn't work that way. Wow. So a lot of upset airlines and also some happy ones. I would assume like where like the U S cargo carriers, they got thrown out of Mexico city and had to rebuild their whole operations at somewhere that doesn't actually have useful, convenient connections to their operations and their facilities. Like this is arguably the type of thing that, the government is supposed to lobby for on behalf of its constituents, but yes, yeah. it's unclear just how well received it's going to be by everybody. Hmm. So yeah, fun times, fun times. I was I was looking at I was just looking at fares to Mexico City like out of PDX. I didn't know Google Flights would sell you two separate tickets on the same airline to get a discount on price. That's uh, yeah, it'll, it'll sometimes tell you when you can do what it's that's just cheaper versus buying end to end. Yeah, yeah, that's like a non end on end. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah, it's Valeris, Portland to Guadalajara in economy, and then a separate ticket Guadalajara to Mexico City on Valeris. Does Valeris sell connecting itineraries? Uh, that might be the key there. I don't think they do. So, so but, yeah, but, yeah, I have seen it sell like a Ryanair to Ryanair before. Yeah, where Ryanair does not sell connecting itineraries. Yeah, I mostly see it in Europe, but that may be why. Yeah, could be. All right, um, AA. American has gotten Haneda slots for JFK. Yep. Again. Again. <laughs> I want to point out, we're pretty sure Foz has actually written into the DOT about slots, Haneda slots in 2019. <laughs> I started looking through, I was reading the filing the other day on Friday night when it came out, and I was like, wait, I come by F Mahmood? This can't be. And then you start reading the text, and it sounds like you. So. <laughs> it very well have been. I don't even remember. Very passive aggressive about Delta and American policies and operations, so I like it. Um, how do you how do you have time to write into the DOT fuzz? <laughs> <laughs> More about figuring out the process than the time. But oh, um, yeah, to me anyway. Uh, so this one, this was the Delta returned its Portland slot. They were uh, there's United wanted it for Houston and Americans, and sort of last minute, it's like oh, we'll take it for JFK instead. And they went back and forth, and you know, sort of their petty fighting of in through these regulatory uh, documents, and American won. Uh, huh. in, in the end, the DOT seems to agree with Americans' analysis that United shifting its Narita flight to Haneda is not, in fact, adding service. Okay. So, you know, adding 200,000 seats a year rather than basically just, you know, connecting them differently is, in fact, more. More is more. Uh, and then the other thing they talked about was they acknowledged that American does, in fact, have nothing for onward connections at JFK. 
but they don't mm-hmm. think that matters because the direct market, the nonstop market at New York is so huge and needs uh, to be backfilled that it's okay. And United's approach to saying, look at all these extra markets we're going to connect via Houston probably stretched the truth of it. And we talked about this when we were discussing the applications a few weeks ago. Basically, United like came up with a list of cities that were going to connect better. And there were a whole bunch of them that were not a ton, but like a bunch of them that just did not make sense. Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the list right now to point a couple out. But like there were some cities in Pennsylvania. Hmm. Um, well, not Harrisburg, Pittsburgh. I thought it was Pittsburgh. Where the hell did I write about that? Uh, um, trying they, to find it. They only fly to Pittsburgh, Wilkes Bar, uh, Harrisburg, and Philadelphia. Philadelphia and Wilkes Bar. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia were both listed as connecting options. So was Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, Louisville, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Kansas City. All cities that should connect Nashville, Knoxville, Raleigh, Durham, Richmond, Norfolk. All cities that should connect via Chicago. Chicago and Newark or even Dulles. But like, why would they not select all the stuff in the South? They included those two, but they, they basically the map was like, everything is going to be great because all these cities have less than four hour connections via Houston. Um, that's, and everybody, the DOT American called it, I called it out. American called it out. DOT acknowledged like, yeah, they also already had these connections. You can't, you don't get to just double dip like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, United again, tentative approval. United could appeal it if it wants to, but seems unlikely to me. I mean, what are they going to say? No, 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 really, really? Those connections are great. I don't know how you win this one. <laughs> so what happens with United here at this point? Do they, do they get another slot somewhere else? Well, so this is the third thing that happened over the week on Friday evening is that Hawaiian uh, notified the DOT that it would not be fully resuming its night slot operations at Haneda. And this is one that United had similarly been uh, pissy about, I don't know, pushy about trying to take that away from Hawaiian because they hadn't returned to nightly service yet. And that's they used to run four times a week to Honolulu and three times a week to Kona. Mm hmm. And Hawaiian basically filed a, a uh, their notice saying, we're giving these slots back. United had previously tried to grab them for Guam. I would assume that it still wants them for Guam. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a consolation prize there. Um, Hawaiian's comment in returning them was basically, the Japanese yen is, remains depressed against the U.S. dollar. Our, our service on that route was all about Hawaii, uh, Japan originating traffic. And Hawaii is way too expensive for them right now between the weak yen slash strong dollar and so much domestic tourism that hotel rooms and everything else are just too expensive. <laughs> the, the Japanese can't afford, not as many Japanese can afford to come here anymore now that, you know, the market has shifted. And so we don't want those slots anymore. So thanks for letting us try, but we're giving them back. Wow. And so presumably United will take them. I can't prove it yet, but, you know, it just happened late on a Friday. If they wanted to, they could start Houston. Haneda, right? With uh, with a, a the late night arrival? If they the, Yes, they can put anything they want into the nighttime slot. The problem with that is generally those night slots are terrible for U.S. connections, mainly mm-hmm. U.S. connections. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I'd have to do the math on what it would be for Houston, but like, Foz is, you know, wisecrack about American getting Haneda JFK again. Last time they had it, it was a night slot, and so they had to operate, you know, the timing... You could argue the timing was terrible for onward connections. Well, now the timing is fine for onward connections, and there still aren't any. So how will that work? Yeah, but um, the late night flights to and from Haneda proved less than valuable for most mainland U.S. operations. I want to say there's a L.A. flight 
that's a technically a late night operation that I think ANA runs. Yep. One of the few flights in the world that lands minus one. <laughs> and you take off at like 1230 AM and you land at 630 PM the same day in LA. That's funny. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Honolulu, Hawaii is also like shipping a bunch of other stuff around that if you start looking at it, it's like, oh, that's how they're getting the capacity because they're not going to have any more 330s yet. Um, mm. they will start to get their 787s not too late this year. Uh, but Boston, Austin, and Pago Pago each get an additional weekly flight. Las Vegas gets three more weekly. So that, that those six together combined to basically be an aircraft worth of operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and LA is getting an extra daily flight. It's going to be 4X daily now, I believe, from Honolulu. On uh, a 321 or on a Airbus? On uh, a 330, sorry. Uh, I believe it's a mix with some of them being on 787s. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's one of the early routes they're going to sort of dedicate to 77 to. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, a lot going on in the Pacific. How long do we think the A route will last this time? A couple of months? I I give it a little more than that. I think my, my real question on that is, is JFK only a 777 base for American? Yes. They don't have any, I mean, 76s are gone, right? Yeah, but they if they wanted to downgate it to a 787, they'd have nope. to bring that, that in somewhere. Yeah, you know, they'd have to bring it up from Philly. Which, or Miami, probably. I don't even know if there's 78s in Miami. I, Dallas and Philly are the two that I know of. Dallas, Dallas. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, there's no way they're going to fly a Philly JFK flight. I guess they could they could do Phil, and they don't have Philly Haneda. No. Which I still don't understand why they didn't do Philly or Charlotte Haneda. That would have been a far better option. No. That would have given them connections, but I think that the argument about local demand would have met, matched that of Houston, and then it just becomes a question of who has better connections, which. I still think American, based on the other comments made, like we wanted to balance the number of slots per alliance and different regional distribution of services and all that stuff, American had a lot of, uh, could have sort of won from anywhere, but I think JFK is the one that's going to actually generate revenue. But it likely won't, just as we saw last time, because people opted to fly. People always opt to fly the Asian carriers if they can. I think last time, I will give some um, credence to the terrible timed flights for last time. With, with Maybe more than good, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt this summer end. It, it, you know what? It, it was terrible time if you connected. Otherwise, it wasn't that bad. You got your full day in New York. It was like a 10 o'clock departure from New York, right? Yeah. So you got the whole day in New York, right? Like if it's O and D, did, in some ways it was better than losing the entire day in New York. Yeah. Is, I want to know, I mean, JFK, like the JAL flights are, let's see, they're averaging $1,800 in coach right now for next month. Kind of crazy. That's four JAL flights. Air, uh, or, air, sorry, sorry, four J- Japanese carrier flights. Right, okay. Two ANA, two JAL. This is a fifth JFK flight. Yeah, and that's and I think there's another one. JAL still doing the Narita as well as Haneda, right? The two Haneda flights. So they might be. Yeah. I, so one of them was one and one, and the other had two it or something like that. There is definitely a Narita flight though. Yeah, I think there's two Hanedas and one Narita. So it's that's a ton of lift, and the prices are still crazy. I like I like that. American right now will sell you a connection JFK DFW DFW to NATO. Yeah, oh everything through Dallas and yeah. it's there Atlanta. Um, or Cathay will re- like really lowball you sub a thousand dollars JFK to Hong Kong Hong Kong to Haneda was fourteen hours in Hong Kong. Yeah, <laughs> over. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Uh, what else? Dulles. They had a Lego model and uh, it's actually going to be in Dulles. This is a guy built uh, like giant ass mod lego model fifty thousand bricks or something like that like huge um model of the airport it had 
uh, the moon buggies and all. It's really actually very well done. We talked about it. There's shared the video of it previously. Um, apparently, the folks at Dulles or the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority liked it enough that they managed to buy it. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So just this, this summer, I don't see JFK Narita on the timetables. So maybe they've started moving it all to Hanada. Yeah, it's two, double daily on JAL and double daily on ANA, but all to Haneda. <laughs> wow. I, I remember, I thought it was there before too, but I don't see it now. So anyway, This is cool though, this Lego model. Being yeah, Lego model. I'm a fan. Um, Tulsa is adding CBP facilities? Wait, what? <laughs> that was basically my response. Uh, this one came across my desk, my email inbox the other day. Uh, they have started the process of building out a full CBP inspection station. Not like for private flights, but like yeah. in the terminal. Yep. They already, they are, they are considered an international airport today, so they can handle, uh, business aviation arrivals and okay. private jets, private planes, but, uh, for commercial passenger service, it's a whole different ball of wax. You have yeah. to build out a significant facility like the counters and the secondary inspection areas. Um, when they built it at JFK T5, the JetBlue terminal, they gave us, a, I was one of the people that got to do the tour of the facility and like they had a jail. Yeah. We've talked about that before. Like you need facilities to hold yeah. people so you don't have to transport them. And- yeah. Um, and you can have hearings and everything. So there's a whole lot of stuff that goes involved in a lot of space, which doing all that for just one gate seems kind of crazy to me, but Tulsa apparently has a decent level of demand in New Mexico. And so, you know, someone's going to be running Cancun flights soon enough or the new Tulum airport. One of the two Southwest or breeze or a If they get their international mm-hmm. services together, right? Breeze has been talking about trying to get international stuff. They were theoretically teasing Dublin, but I can imagine, um, you know, from a route profile perspective, I'm pretty sure I'm checking right now, but Tulsa to Cancun is under 1,200 miles. So you can have one crew do a turn easy. Yeah. Um, so they're just going to build it underneath like one of the in piers. I didn't quite understand the geography of it, but uh, they're they're putting they're going to have an, an international capable gate. And Cancun is not necessarily the only option, but these days seems like the most likely. I mean, they only have 12 gates, so it's yeah. Okay, it's pick one. Yeah, exactly. I'm uh, guessing even uh, preferably that can dump out to air side or to land side without having to, like some weird internal reclear security thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, they put something close to the, to the pier, the end of, or not the end of the pier, but like closest to the head house. So. Yeah, you take over the basement or put something above or something somehow or a long hallway that's isolated, but somehow you make it work. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, did not uh, see that coming. Uh, speaking of breeze, mobile, Denver, Greenville. Bunch of new destinations for them. Yeah, is it Greenville or Greensboro? Uh, you put Greenville into the okay. That it's GSP. Oh, Greensboro, Greensboro, Spartanburg. Yeah, it's Greenville, Spartanburg. Sorry, that's my bad. Um, some new cities. So the Mobile one is to Orlando, which okay, fine. Who doesn't like to go see Disney? Uh, Denver. I hadn't figured out. I haven't actually seen the routes that they're running there yet. I probably should have read about that before we started recording. Uh, mm-hmm. I kept meaning to. Um, and I pull up the press release here while while we're talking. Um, Greensville, Spartanburg will serve Providence, Rhode Island seasonally, Tampa, Hartford, Los Angeles, and Orlando all seasonally. Um, Myrtle Beach to Hartford for the season. Uh, so you were right, Greenville, Spartanburg, GSP. Okay, Greenville in the notes. It's not okay. Greenville. That's GSO. That's closer to South Carolina. Or correct. 
Okay. Uh, Charlotte or, or whatever. Um, Denver to Providence is seasonal. Um, three mid-cons from Los Angeles for the summer. Madison, Wisconsin, Akron, Ohio, and Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. They seem they seem to really be diving into LA, like or trying to. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people want to go to LA, especially in the summer for vacation. So. Yeah. True. Yeah, I I, I get that to an extent. I was talking with uh, Ed Pizza, who we had on a couple weeks, a uh, couple episodes ago, um, about some of this stuff, and he was talking about you know he's been trying to get on the Richmond LA flight because it's not too far from him near Dallas. And yeah. then, um, or maybe to Vegas. I'm sorry, not Dallas, uh, not LA. And just like how he can, ne- he never quite make it work. But like the front fills up and the back doesn't, which is a weird problem for an airline to have, especially yeah, they when they need a, bigger, need a bigger plane. Well, also remember that they started with a very large forward cabin and actually scaled it back. Yeah, I think there were 24 to start, and they're down to 12 in the new layout. Um, and how that like. Yeah, my thought is if if that's your pro- if that's your sales profile, then you're not charging enough for the premium product. Yeah, but who am I to tell airlines to charge more for first class that I want to buy at a reasonable price? <laughs> it could also be one of those where even if you jacked it up, you still would fill it out just because of its location versus having to purchase yeah. DC. Meantime, I just noticed this Tampa to Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird one. Well played, guys, and made stuff at the same time. I, I want so so. Here's a question for you, right? Like, is I mean, can we have Delta lay down their dartboard flag and give it to Breeze? Can can <laughs> like that because that's what it feels like, right? Hey, sort of on purpose, but yes. Like they're just like let's just try it and see what sticks. That's yeah, what it, that seems like. Yeah, I think the big difference is for an upstart new airline and. We can debate how much longer we get to call Breeze one of those, given how long they've been running. But like, at some point, you know, and while you're flushing out the network and rapidly growing your fleet size, that's kind of what you have to do. And none of these are daily; these are all two, three, the most just four times a week, mm-hmm. right? So, but they can't not fly the planes. It's not an Allegiant model where you can be idle on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So you you have to use these two twenties when you get them, and so they they have to have a lot of lines, but not necessarily it's not necessarily that many flights, mm-hmm. and so that gives them some interesting opportunities and experiences with you know with the route planning team and network planning and figuring out where things are going to go. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yes, yeah, so there's definitely a dartboard element to it, but um, I think they they've said that you know it's going to be a dartboard. They're they're doing that on purpose. Yeah. 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 At least they own it. Yeah, well, I, I, would, I mean, I would also argue that Delta has a lot more data available to them on route and potential. Well, where would have you? Yeah, and yet they still do it. <laughs> okay, so they get to keep their flag. All right, got it. Okay, message received. Uh, any other weird ones, Seth? Um, no, I think that I I covered everything. I mean, a lot of these also will have onward connections. Um, so like, uh, you'll end up doing L.A. Um to Providence via Greenville Spartanburg or via Hartford mm-hmm. or Hartford via LA to Green uh, via Greenville Spartanburg. One of those two is probably going to be or Orlando. One of those is probably going to be what they call breeze through route, right? Where the plane moves through um, or even Tampa. They're all, yeah, everything at Greenville Spartanburg is always on Mondays and Fridays, which is super interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so I do, I do give breeze some credit for like, having so many effectively transcon routes via random midpoints 
Well, it's a good place to like swap out crews, right? Like you could do your crew rest in the middle if you wanted, or are they doing the out and back type thing? That's all they do. That's a good question. I because I'm yeah, I guess you could do a sort of mid con turn and swap the crew potentially mm-hmm. versus right if they do. If you start in Providence, stop in Greenville, and then make it to LA, you don't have enough time left to come all the way back. Yeah. Um, but the way they're selling them as a direct flight, I don't know that they're doing a crew swap. Gotcha. I'd have to look into that. They may be, ha- they originally were having crew always back home same day, but I know that part of the plan with the 220s was to have them in Outstate. Gotcha. I mean, it also adds a level of complexity, right, when scheduling, because if something goes wrong and you're selling these as through flights, then you're really screwing people. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Good stuff. Um, anything else you guys want to chat about? No, not for me. Cool. We got some topics around, like Seth said, uh, United and Southwest kind of being a little ticked at Boeing. Uh, we're going to talk about that in the bonus. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Lufthansa and ITA hitting some roadblocks. And uh, the IG to try and buy out uh, Air Europa, um, doesn't, the EU doesn't like that either. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around for that. If not, thanks for listening. Um, thanks to our new two new patrons, Steve P., Raphael C. We appreciate you supporting the show. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you in the next one. Happy travels. Take care. Catch you later.